today we're reading excerpts from the book Irresistibility by Philippa Davies. Chapter 3 The Laws of Irresistibility I don't know if you're like me, but I love being salting as well. Good sailing is both art and science. Art in that one's feelings and deepest longings are appealed to. Science in that clear psychological principles about how we perceive and interpret can be used with reliable consistency to make us buy. It is these clear psychological principles that we will investigate in this chapter. We will look at exactly what these principles are, how they operate in everyday life, and how we can use them to maximize our irresistibility. The laws described in this chapter are especially useful to know about and use in certain contexts. They are invaluable if you want to make yourself irresistible to employers and also if you are selling products or services. They are essential to know about if you are in any way engaged in influencing people to act or think in a certain way. These guidelines are core assets of influence and persuasion. This chapter should go some way towards explaining why we are sometimes sold ideas and things that we do not really want. For instance, I often find myself between meetings in Oxford Street in the West End of London. If I have time to kill, I'll often end up in the cosmetics hall of one of the several department stores there. Now the good thing about my job is that it legitimises indulging in all sorts of experiences for the sake of research. So I often find myself approaching a cosmetic salesperson in order to research their selling technique or at least that's what I delude myself with. As a result of this research process, I have a drawer full at home of unsuitable shades of orange lipstick, which I've never worn. Now you're possibly thinking, what a sucker. But at least these experiences have given me proof of these principles in action. In this chapter we'll look at how the principles operate in selling cosmetics, houses, clothes, and even political candidates. We'll ramble some of the techniques those dubious individuals called financial services advisors apply. Knowing about these techniques, both for our own direct usage and in order to protect ourselves, seems especially relevant today. The world in which many of us live is an extremely fast and stimulating one. We are bombarded with approaches from what Robert Cialdini in his book Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, likes to call compliance practitioners. Clever compliance practitioners sell us anything from soap to Scientology, knowing that the faster the world moves, the more shortcuts we take in our decision making and our thinking. What we understand when we understand these laws and their application, it helps us resist pressurizing tactics of which we may not previously have been aware. The Laws of Irresistibility By the end of this chapter, you'll be familiar with these magical laws. The Law of Reciprocity, the Law of Comparison, the Law of Consistency, the Law of Social Proof, the Law of Scarcity, the Law of Liking, and the Law of Authority. Law number one, the law of reciprocity. This law says that we, if we are given something by someone, 
we then feel obligated to return the favour. This may not necessarily be something tangible. It could be a word in an influential person's ear on our behalf, a piece of advice, a meeting with someone important who gives us their valuable airtime. The law arises from the idea that for human beings to live harmoniously together, we have to operate from the understanding that we are dependent on one another and that we have to that, and that we have a network of obligation. Most of us are not terribly comfortable feeling obligated to others. There is a gap between what's expected of us and our actions, and we will act sooner rather than later to close that gap. Now in the old days, when men had far greater economic power than women, this law often governed mating between the sexes. Men would buy women meals and then expect to receive sexual favours in return. I expect it still goes on in some places. Moving on from eating and copulating, another extremely enjoyable human activity, gossip, is based entirely on the roar of reciprocity. This is almost, to my mind, as thrilling a non-physical activity as the idea of I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Cosmetic companies and other businesses use this law through the idea of the free gift. You are given some samples of an expensive skin cream made by, say, Clarence. They've done you a favour, and so you're far more likely to splash out on the full-size wrinkle attacker in return. This law is being practiced when we are given expensive-looking brochures without obligation or a devastating compliment. Financial services salespeople give away a free financial overhaul. Isn't that kind of them? Before suggesting you may like to purchase a, a heavily commissioned pension or insurance policy in return. These gifts are all the more potent when they are unexpected. Analysis of hypnotic techniques shows that it is much easier to encourage people to do things in a hypnotic state if they are surprised or shocked just beforehand. This is because when we are surprised or shocked we momentarily drop out, drop out defenses. A lot of us operate under the maxim that you don't get... Ugh. I'm not going to tip that. So when we're given something free and unexpected and experience pleasure as a result, the odds are that we will feel strongly obligated to reciprocate. The free gift at the cosmetics counter is much more effective if it's unexpected rather than something that customers come to expect as a rite and a ritual. Hence companies using it as a ploy unpredictably Hence companies are using it as a ploy unpredictably and periodically. The timing of the gift and the attached value placed on it are critical. Martin works for a private bank <laughs> where he developed a program to coach bankers to sell their services to very wealthy clients. This is his quote. One of the things we noticed was how the handling of the brochures was often overlooked. We watched one female manager who was excellent in all other aspects of her presentation. 
She came into the room where eight potential clients were sat around the table. Her greeting was friendly and professional and then very quickly she flung copies of a very expensive brochure in front of them with a here's our little brochure for you to go away with. Her whole handling and timing of the written material diminished its value. We now suggest these brochures are handed out at the end of the pitch and handed almost with reverence to make them seem valuable. After all, they represent tangibly the value we feel we offer in our service. A few years ago, I worked for Levi Strauss, who had a very charismatic Swedish marketing director. During rehearsals for presentations of the new ranges, he would yell at the presenters, Make, I make love to the jeans, make love to them. You probably gather it was not his intention that the presenters should start embracing the garments. Instead he meant that they should be held and moved and folded as though they were very precious items. In relating to the garments this way, the presenters instructed their audience to attach great value to them. A powerful technique, and more so for being something that very few of the audience would consciously note. Networking is all about the law of reciprocity. This is an idea that is often talked about rather mysteriously and people write books and run courses on it as though there is some great secret to it. What it's about, plain and simple, is trading. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. When it doesn't work it's usually because people don't understand this and are not upfront about the reciprocal nature of the activity. Canny use then of this law means that you are aware when people give you something that you may be accept, expected to reciprocate. And if you do not wish to reciprocate, you may need to make this clear so that unspoken expectation does not prevail. It also means that you can use the fact others expect they should reciprocate to get what you're after. Instantly irresist how to be instantly irresistible. Identify movers and shakers in the environment you want to excel in Look for opportunities to do them favours and give them things, but maintain your self-respect. You're doing someone a favour or giving them something, and you're not sure how tuned in they are to the idea that this is a trade. When you do the giving, make the teasing comment along the lines of, Now I wonder when you'll be able to scratch my back. Never give people gifts with an apologetic, it's just something very small. It belittles you, the item, and the person receiving the gift. Presenters, though, a lot of care and attention has gone into this procurement. Even if this isn't the case, the gift will gain attached value. Let the person on the receiving end really see your pleasure at what you're doing for giving them. Hey, they could also feel like that, as and they could also feel like that soon on the return match. If someone owes you and they haven't been in touch for a long time, take the initiative yourself. Phone them for a chat, remind them of, the, of their obligation to you by alluding to something that will make a favour or gift spring to mind. Give them a gentle reminder that you're owed one. When you want somebody who's obligated to you to, you to do something very specific, ask them. If they refuse, take them off your Christmas card list immediately. They're not playing the game. Under pressure from someone using this law, either refuse their favour or gift, 
No thanks, Jack, from accounts. I couldn't possibly be interested in dining at Le Caprice with you. Or accept it, but make it clear that you are unable to reciprocate in the anticipated manner. Thanks, I'd love to come, but I have to be home early as I've got an early appointment at this CD clinic tomorrow morning. <coughs> mm. Negotiating with this law. Negotiating in all sorts of situations resolves around giving and taking concessions. Your partner plays football every Saturday and you spend as many Sundays as you can in the garden. Your 15 year old son can stay out till midnight provided he cleans and tidies his room once a week. Your employer expects you to work very hard but they give you a decent salary, private health insurance, the company BMW and a cheap mortgage. We can use this idea of reciprocating concessions to get what we want. You go and ask your chief executive if you can be managing director of your division and they turn you down. You accept this refusal with good grace. You are philosophical and positive about it. You understand why they could refuse. What you're giving them now, of course, is a concession. You will not make them feel bad for what they've done in the circumstances you've actually done them a favour. But two weeks later, when you come back to see them with a request to become marketing director of your division, they feel obligated to you for this favour. You get the gist. Law number two, the law of comparison. In the example I've just given you, someone making an extreme request and then making what seems like a much more reasonable one, another law is operating. The law of comparison. This says, to know what everything is, we have to compare it with something else. So I'm wearing a navy blue jumper today and not being colorblind, I know it's navy blue because it's not black and it's not brown. But if I don't have concepts of other colors, then I wouldn't be able to define the color of my sweater. We experience everything in its context. And that context will always involve ideas about how things are similar and how they are different. Our judgment of people, properties, the cost of things is relative to our previous experience and comparisons. Let's imagine you're recruiting a PA and you see these candidates who you would judge with a C grade. Then along comes Miss Efficient who you would in isolation judge as a B plus. Your judgment of Lucky Miss Efficient is affected by a comparison of her with the three previous candidates. She seems even better than she is and you judge her to be an A. Watch out for this technique if you're property hunting. Estate agents will often show you their poorer properties first so that when you see a desirable and funnily enough much more expensive property it seems all the more desirable. Some unscrupulous agents even have set up properties not very desirable houses that they own. They'll show these to unsuspecting clients first in order to bait them to buy the subsequent houses on offer. If it's designed to close you're after, the same law will apply. Skilled salespeople will always try to sell you the expensive suit or coat first and then suggest you buy garments like shirts, sweaters and accessories. So that Gucci scarf for 500 seems cheap compared to the 2000 that you've already decided to spend on the suit. But if you'd parted with 500 first and then been shown the suit, it might have seemed like an awful lot more. 
Being aware of the law of comparison can help make you much more irresistible. If you go into the wine bar with the aim of um, meeting people with a friend with friend A, who dresses like a siren, and friend B, who's a sweater and sneaker sort of person. Do I have to tell you which one you should sit by? And yes, it isn't in the middle. The Law of Consistency, Law Number 3. This law says that we like to keep our thoughts, our beliefs and our actions consistent with what we've already done or decided. Consistency is viewed as a highly desirable attribute of an individual's self-image. It's often regarded as a cardinal sin to change one's mind and to appear inconsistent. Even though we live in such a volatile world, where to do so might be the wisest course of action. When Neil Kinnock, for example, was leader of the British Labour Party, the press criticised him strongly for changing his mind. But seriously, most of us like to feel that we have integrity, and part of this feeling comes from a sense that we are consistent and reliable. Businesses exploit this need for consistency by linking it to commitment. Sales training exploits this idea by training salespeople in a series of questions, which are all likely to be answered with a yes. It's a lovely day, isn't it? Yes. Are you looking for a suit? Yes. This shade would really complement your lovely colouring. Does it appeal? Yes. Would you like to try it on? Yes, please. Then they hope you will remain mindlessly consistent. And when you come out of the fitting room and look in the mirror, they say, oh, that looks fantastic. Are you going to take it? You will, of course, answer, yes. Your pee thinks the salesman, considering their commission. We're subjecting ourselves to this law, as well as the law of reciprocity, when we take and use free samples from cosmetic companies. Having made a small commitment to using their moisturiser, the idea is that next time we want to buy a moisturiser, we will seek to act consistently with this commitment and part with the necessary money. In this book, in his book Influence, Robert Cialdini states or cites examples of toy manufacturers using this law. Before Christmas, toy manufacturers will advertise certain products extensively and usually plant some PR stories about it being impossible to buy a Teletubby, a Furby, or a Buzz Lightyear. They'll deliberately undersupply shops to create demand. And meanwhile, meanwhile desperate parents, having promised little Sybil or Robert the offending toy, will be searching relentlessly to locate one. Many will be disappointment, disappointed. The toy manufacturers will see to that. And then magically, after Christmas, these in-demand toys reappear in the shops, which are still roaring trade, still doing roaring trade, from Sybil and Robert's parents, who are determined to keep their commitment to their offspring and to be consistent. When Mummy and Daddy are consistent, Sybil and Robert will learn to be so too. They promised them the toy, so they would jolly well get it. Even though it's after Christmas and the playroom can't hold any more toys. Unscrupulous car salespeople use this law too. A very low price will be offered on a vehicle and as soon as the unsuspecting customer shows some interest, they will be offered a test drive. This will engage their commitment. What usually happens then is that the low price that's been originally quoted turns out not to include air conditioning, heating, a radio, an aerial or perhaps even a steering wheel. 
and the hapless customer, having made some commitment to the vehicle and wanting to stay consistent, will end up forking out for all these extras. The law of consistency is used a lot as a prelude to selling. For instance, a financial salesperson will often conduct a thorough review of your finances. This will often identify this will involve identifying financial goals you have and products you think you might need. There will be form filling and signatures involved. Having made this agreement to let them advise you, you are far more likely to buy services from them, involving more form filling and signing if you haven't made the agreement already. In the same way, sales agreements for goods like televisions, video players and computers will endure the minimum number of cancellations. Customers who get home and change their mind are far less likely to do something about it when they've made the initial commitment. Charity is also used as law in telephone appeals. When a fundraiser calls you to ask how you would respond to a request for a donation to that charity, and then calls you a few days later with the actual request, they maximize the chances you will give. Having made that first commitment, you will wish to remain consistent. And the law is used in election campaigns. Political parties spend a great deal of time and personal power leading up to the elections, canvassing the general public as to how they will be voting. While this provides them with research, it also means that those who pledge their commitment verbally are more likely to get themselves down to the polling booths than those who had not verbalised their intentions. We are most affected by commitments when we believe we take decisions with free will, without outside pressure. Highly sophisticated selling will offer the customer a range of options about which they will believe themselves to be educated, but not, pressure, but not pressurised. Although the options are li likely to be positioned so that we'll find one more appealing than the others, we will be most committed to our decision when we believe that we've been left to our decision or left to our devices to make it. The law of social proof. Law number four. This is everybody's doing it law. This explains the rollerblading as a craze, the popularity of Delias Smith and why people pay inflated prices for designer clothes publicised by famous models and celebrities. It's all about endorsement. When a lot of people buy into something and endorse it, those of us who are keen on fitting in and being a part of a big trend will go along with the trend. Others among us will be much more selective about their association, finding mass popularity a complete turnoff, but buying into trends that we believe just a select few are endorsing. So, demand for, say, Delia Smith's latest offering increases the more we read in the press that bookshops can't meet all the requests for her books. Cosmetics PR magazines constantly makes reference to film stars or supermodels who use the latest product under promotion. New books have puffs from well-known authors in the same field on their covers which always say how much they love the book. People like the back People like to back the horse that others are putting their money on. So at election time, for example, predicted outcomes in the press can be highly influential. In this context, this law explains the landslide victory. 
where polling for a particular party is considerably higher than the expected because all the don't knows at the last minute decide to back the winner. Some of the glory of victory then rubs off on them. Innovative mail order company director Johnny Bowden understands the power of endorsement for people and also the extent to which customers identify with endorsement. He uses real people in his brochures with their Christian names and job descriptions. He sells his high quality casual wear to customers who see it modelled by people like them, giving very strong social proof. This law works in some quite serious contexts. There would be many instances of people being mugged or robbed or having accidents in cities where passers-by do nothing for quite some time. This is explained by social proof. The thinking being, nobody, bleh, nobody else is doing anything, so why should I? The Weather Effect is named after a book by Gate Goethe where the hero commits suicide and lots of others copy him. It demonstrates that a highly publicised suicide is always followed by lots of copycat ones. Even scarier, there is persuasive data in the USA to show that after a highly publicised suicide, traffic and air fatalities show a consistent and significant rise. The spooky explanation for this is that some of the drivers and pilots were predisposed to be suicidal and the reported event triggered off this urge. The persuasive nature of everybody's doing it also explains how people believe and behave in cults and why horrible instances such as the mass suicide of hundreds of cult leader Jim Jones's followers in Guyana occurred. But back to Cheerio Matters, you, here's how to use this law to increase your resistibility. Do enough people know about your advanced diploma and your command of Balkan, Balkan, yeah, Balkan languages. Seriously though, people are unduly impressed by formal qualifications, as those of us who've got a few of them quickly become to, quickly come to realise. Where have you been and who have you associated with that impresses people? It's also important to be selectively impressive. If you try to impress too hard with lots of social proof, people will think you're desperate. When you're actively looking for a break or a job change, you may want to call in favours from all those influential people that you've been doing them for. And to resist the law, just remember that because everyone's buying something or following a trend, it doesn't mean it's a good thing. After all, in Britain, the majority of voters repeatedly voted for a conservative government throughout the 1980s. Law number five, the law of scarcity. This is the law of paying hard to get, which says if we want something and we know its availability is limited, then we will want it even more. As G.K. Chesterton, Chest, yeah, Chesterton said, the way to love anything is to realize that it might be lost. Fendi bags, Gucci loafers, Nicky Clark haircuts all increase in value and desirability when we read, usually as a, some PR puffery, that they are very hard to come by and involve three month waiting lists. Very often, sales are boosted by a combination of the laws of social proof and scarcity. 
will buy products because they combine endorsement from movers and shakers with being in short supply. The unscrupulous estate agent will also use this one. She or he will indicate that a doctor who is moving into the area has seen the property and likes it a lot. This will alarm the prospective buyer into making an offer. At the time of writing, I am being offered a great opportunity to do field work on this subject as it coincides with my family selling one property and buying two others. We've just bought a house in Wales fairly hastily because someone else from London has seen it and is making an offer. I've no idea whether it's a scam or not, so do as I say rather than as I do. When things are hard to get, they acquire greater value. It's quite understandable how members of certain professions with long apprenticeships, doctors, lawyers, psychoanalysts or London cab drivers, become enormously protective of their professional standing. Same goes for partners in accountancy and consultancy firms. Having worked so hard and for so long to achieve this status, it becomes extremely valuable to them when they eventually reach it. Things become especially sought after when they have been in, in abundant supply, but have become much rarer. This has been the case with several friends of mine who have decided to have a portfolio of part-time careers. They have been apprehensive about telling their customers and clients that they are limiting their availability, but they have been pleasantly surprised to find that their available time is more sought after than ever. Salespeople often overlook the fact that when a customer's free choice is limited, they may well want to exert it more. You go into a shop looking for a particular item. The salesperson tells you that they don't have it and they just have one alternative. You sensibly decide to go elsewhere. The clever salesperson will do whatever they can to help you get the original item while also indicating to you what other alternatives are available. They will maximise your feeling that you are free to choose by doing so. Law number six, the law of liking. This is a glaringly obvious law. We allow ourselves to be influenced by people we like and find attractive. So financial services advisors will be trained to approach all their friends to start with. But let's be a little bit more explicit about what, this make, what makes us like others. We like people who are physically attractive, and there's a great deal we can all do to make ourselves physically attractive. If you feel good, you take care of yourself, eat well, and treat yourself physically and psychologically with respect, this will make you look good too. Boost yourself with a good haircut and nice clothes. And plastic surgery aside, you may not be able to do much about your generic, genetic inheritance you can draw attention to those good points and play down the bad. If you can't work out what these are, get some advice from a recommended image consultant. It's worth it. All the research shows that attractive people earn more, get an easier time in court and get voted into office. So when necessary, make, you, make sure you scrub up well. We like people who are similar to us, who have things in common with us. And in order to convey that we are similar to others, we have to be able to make a quick assessment of them. This means doing very confident things like listening and focusing all our attention on them. More of this in the next chapter.
We like people who remind us of ourselves because they endorse us and bolster our self-images. This guideline is a good one to follow when making important decisions such as what to wear for a first date or a job interview. Your prospective boss or date come to that. Maybe a 55 year old pinstripe suit city person and you may a fancy free 25 year old with a penchant for crop tops and fatigues. If you want to emphasize things you have in common, it's best to dust down that dark tailored suit and put on those belly pumps. We like people who give us compliments. <coughs> <coughs> Even the toughest, most ruthless, most ruthless corporate warrior needs to be appreciated. In Britain, we are rather reticent about giving compliments. We don't like to be seen to be brown-nosing or smarming. But compliments are generous acts, and if genuinely meant, give people a great boost. They show others you are able to focus your attention on them. Always compliment others as specifically as possible. Rather than, you look great, so that coloured shirt really suits your eyes. On the receiving end of compliments, some of us get embarrassed because we're not used to giving ourselves praise. So we rip out the compliment with this old thing I bought it second hand. The subtext of this to the generous individual who has given you the compliment is I'm returning your kind act and diminishing it. Much better to graciously accept the compliment. Who knows, you may open the floodgates for a whole lot more. We like things and people that are familiar. So always take it as a compliment when someone tells you that you remind them of their mother or their ex-husband. Generally speaking, human beings find change unsettling, especially the older they get. And while it takes them a while to adapt to new experiences and people and their defenses may be aroused, the familiar remains safe. In some situations, this makes the case for a cosy, informal style of presenting yourself, where your main aim is to make other people feel comfortable with you. It's very useful, for example, if you're selling a service to others. Factor in here though, that in some parts of working life, people are still very old school, tie and formal. Like Lord King, who, who judged Richard Branson to be no threat at all because of his beard and sweaters. In the past decade, businesses have latched on to the value of this guideline with customer service initiatives, emphasising the value of long-term relationships and repeat business from satisfied customers familiar with the offerings. We also like people who cooperate with us, obviously. Some individuals get very hung up on asserting their individuality over us and to do this resentfully and to do this they resentlessly relentlessly disagree and challenge. It goes without saying that challenging and disagreeing can be very constructive at honing ideas and getting to the heart of issues. But the need I'm describing here is much more to do with the individual's ego. Henry was a management consultant 
who was a newly appointed head of his division. He had a great deal of experience and success in selling roles. He was bullish and dynamic. He wanted his division to be massively successful. And Henry had asked for some coaching to build more effective relationships with chief executives. When I went to see him to talk about how he might approach this, I was amused to note every utterance that everything I said was greeted with a judgment, along the lines of a good idea, oh I'm not sure about that, and I wouldn't agree with that. After about 10 minutes, I asked Henry if this was how he would normally chat with chief executives. Yes, of course, he replied. Is there anything wrong with it? He had no idea that repeatedly passing judgment on his prospective clients' expressions and ideas would be in any way detrimental to trust and relationship building. He didn't realize that he would be better liked and provide a far better basis for long-term relationship if he was much more cooperative. Henry had a lot of work to do. We like people who are associated with the positive. Between the ages of about 13 and 25, I always wanted to be cool and able to affect the skeptical disdain for most things. I'm naturally very enthusiastic, so this stance was very difficult to achieve. Then in my mid-twenties, I noticed that being enthusiastic wasn't such a bad thing and that other people seemed to quite like it. It served me very well ever since. People who have more of a positive attitude than a negative one are much easier to be with. Generally speaking, they live longer too. We also like being associated with winners, with people who have done and achieved interesting things in life, sometimes against the odds. This means feeling comfortable letting people know about our past successes. We look at this in greater detail later. If you've developed the, if you've developed the habit of affecting a cool stance a lot of the time, this may be detracting from your irresistibility. Get practicing acting enthusiastic, even if it's just about what's really hip. Law number seven, the law of authority, and the last law. Many experiments in social psychology have demonstrated that we underestimate the extent to which we are influenced by authority. And that means authority conveyed both through behavior and through how people present themselves and the words they use. Perhaps the most famous of the experiments was carried out by the researcher Stanley Milgram in the 1960s. Authority figures, wearing white coats, issued directions to a group of subjects who were to act as torturers. The torturers believed they were administering the electric shocks as part of an experiment to study how punishment affects learning. No shock was actually administered, but the torturers were assured that the shocks, though extremely painful, would cause no permanent damage. The authority figures encouraged the torturers to keep administering the shocks even when they were flagging. While many of them became very stressed during the experiment, all of them raised the voltage to 300 volts, a level marked as very strong. They heard at this point the simulated sounds of the victims pounding on the walls in pain, 
And even then, a further 26 out of 40 torturers, under instruction from the authority figures, took the voltage up another 50% again to a horrendous 450 volts. The prediction by the researchers had been that only 1 in 1,000 people would go this far. But interestingly, when the experiment was run using phone directions, rather than having the authority figures present, only 9 out of the 40 obeyed. So the experiment seemed to show that people are scarily responsive to authority figures, significantly more so when they're physically present. Bill Clinton understands the extent to which people are influenced by encountering authority figures in the, th in the flesh. During one of the many elections he has fought during his career, he was standing for governorship of Arc Arkansas, where a week before, all the indicators were that he would lose. This did not deter the comeback kid. He got up every morning at 4am and travelled around the state, meeting as many of the, of the electorate as he possibly could putting in a week's worth of punishing 24-hour days. I bet you can guess what the result was. He won. But hey, I hear you think, how can this work for me? Well, sorry, but to an extent, to an extent I'm going to delay your gratification, because the subsequent chapter will be dealing with authoritative behaviour, which was cover in the next episode of this podcast, but in the meantime, here's some other ideas. You would significantly increase your irresistibility in the marketplace if you're an authority on something people always need and want, or will have a greater need for in the future. So anyone who is an authority on sex, confidence, food, making money, good relationships, IT skills, and has half-decent communication skills should be able to find a niche for themselves. If you're thinking of becoming a television chef, just remember that markets can get saturated. Taking a gamble on future trends, you could start becoming an authority on working effectively from home, being old but fit and happy, motivation based on quality of life priorities, quick and healthy organic eating, or looking smart but casual at work. While there are jobs like television news reading, which depend on authoritative behaviour alone, in most other contexts, it's better to speak with genuine authority. You may be under the impression that to become an authority, you need to reinvent yourself completely. This may not be necessary. What is it that you already know something about, and how can you build on it? What you already know may not have been formally acquired. Interest in study and psychology turned out to be a good choice for me, because I've built on what, it, what I'd learnt from the scientific bandit yeah, dysfunctional members of family. The quiet confidence that comes from knowing you're an authority, rather than just acting like one, is really worth acquiring. Otherwise, you'll always be worrying somewhere inside that you're going to be found out. Your options are always a lot wider when you can exercise real authority, believe me. Just because an estate agent is dressed and behaving in the manner of the Prime Minister, it could all be costume and acting. You don't have to do what they say. So that's it. Seven powerful laws of irresistibility that can be used in all sorts of contexts. <coughs>
experiment and have fun with them. Now onto the promised insights into irresistible behaviour, which we will cover in the next episode. But in the meantime, just going to sum up the seven laws. The law of reciprocity. The law of comparison. The law of consistency. The law of social proof. The law of scarcity. The law of liking. And the law of authority.